back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, I'll be speaking on the planetary, archetypal, and political landscape, as it says at abetterworld.tv and Blog Talk Radio in describing today's show. It says that uh, what is happening on and in the planet during this time of accelerated climate change due to human activity and in light of the current political and psychological landscape, troubled at best, is in need of serious and also humorous treatment. Thank God for Alec Baldwin. We could use some healing, God knows, and an intelligent thoughtful, creative plan of possibility, then action, to coordinate actions among different fields and different nations, different cultures, to neutralize the anthropogenic sources of pollution and climate change, as well as to neutralize this intense uh, preoccupation, if not obsession, with authority and power. We're seeing that manifest, of course, in our body politic in a way that is so extreme and so, from my point of view, unprofessional and biased that it's nothing short of frightening. And we all need to really be alarmed at what it is that is going on. Those of you who listen with regularity to a better world have seen and heard, I should say, that the last many shows have been on a fairly singular subject of looking at the Constitution and looking at the November 8th election and seeing how they are at odds. In fact, the nature of the November 8th election was a violation of Section 4, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, which is known as the Guarantee Clause. And that Guarantee Clause guarantees the safe, free, and fair elections by the federal government of every state, of all the states, the several states, as it is said. Yet, we know from our intelligence agencies that it wasn't free and fair, it wasn't safe, and it was violated by, in fact, a foreign power, not to mention probably some domestic ones as well. But that never really seems to catch the ear of the court system in this country when blacks have been disenfranchised, for instance, and removed from the voting rolls in Florida and elsewhere this last time Greg Ballast reported in Detroit up to uh, 75 to 100,000 people some say a million altogether across country actually were votes that were not counted that were miscounted or just altogether thrown out well but We know that that does not, as I said, catch the attention of the authorities. That's just business as usual. I don't believe that to be the case at all. It should not be business as usual. It's not. 
and it should not be normalized, as unfortunately has somewhat occurred. But when you bring in another government, another nation, especially one that is considered adversarial or competitive, such as Russia, headed up by that, rings another bell, and it sounds the alarms. And, of course, that's what's happened. And so we, a small group of us, connected the dots. I mean, I actually started just through my own thinking that you cannot have uh, media that is a flare with complaints about Russian hacking from these federal agencies as sources and then not follow through the common thread of logic that says, well, gee, if that is in fact the case, which is being publicly declared as so, you cannot therefore keep and let stand the results of the election. It just does not stand. You know, it just doesn't work. It's like if you're bleeding, you need to take care of it. And it's got to be cleaned out and fixed. Well, the fix, of course, is another vote that is very carefully monitored and not hacked. And so when I wrote to uh, my dear friend and colleague, Hazel Henderson, who's a futurist and uh, an economist, especially around the green economy and renewable energy, and has written extensively and prolifically about these subjects, uh, greatly eloquently. Uh, when I wrote this to her and to the advisory board of hers that I'm actually a member of, I got a, an email back from her saying, yes, that's right, that is what's logical and that's what needs to take place. And I got another couple of emails from a few other people who said, absolutely, that's what we've been talking about and we have begun to actually take action in this space. We would like you to be part of it. So, in fact, I joined this little a core team of people, and I've had each of them on the air on A Better World over the past month or so, especially General Sanders, who was the drafter of the writ as our plan B, seeing as we were not able to uh, secure the interest of <clears throat> a particular lawyer to assist in the process. They were interested, but they were standoffish they would not jump in. So while some very highly placed uh, constitutional attorneys, including from Harvard Law School, did assist in some of the conceptualizing of a case and giving us some acknowledgement and support, it's really Gerald who sat down and really knocked it out. She really drafted it. And myself and... Uh, one or two others were involved in editing, but she is really the, the hero of the day, having not only written it, but having truly conceived of the relationship between that election and that particular article and section of the Constitution, and recognizing that there actually isn't, as a matter of law or Constitution for that matter, 
a way of setting up a revote in a case where we are in now where there is a need for one. There isn't a, a legal mechanism to initiate that. Odd, but true. But, you know, we're only human, and even the founding fathers were, and everybody looks overlooks something. So this looks like a case in point, very interestingly. But I'm bringing all of this up just to say that looking at the larger planetary picture, which brings us to appreciate the diversity of the variety of rich cultures that have been populating the planet for literally thousands of years. We've got the ancient Chinese. We've got the ancient South Pacific. We've got the ancient Indians and Tibetans. We've got the shamans and the ancient civilizations in Siberia, Mongolia, uh, all over Africa, even uh, Eastern Europe, the Slavs, on and on, South America, the Maya, Inca. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of intelligence and cultural life that humans have spawned and cultivated over thousands of years. The Greeks, um, the Cretans, the, you know, what was the Persians, really, and uh, Mesopotamians, Babylonians, maybe the Atlanteans and the Lemurians to even take a step further back. So we have a lot for which to be thankful. And so sadly, a rather small group of Europeans, by and large, came and stole land, which is their want all over the world, frankly, there was that time of history where the sun did not set on the British Empire and, well, it's since shrunk as well it should. Uh, but that is the extent to which the Brits leading the way, but also the Portuguese and the Spanish and the Italians and the Dutch primarily and the French and to some extent the Germans played a role in doing what they could to co-opt, i.e. claim ownership to all these different parts of the world. I mean, it's rather extraordinary when you think about it. A kind of a small band of bandits, if you will, called explorers set out to conquer, go and just stick their flag in someone else's property and wasn't even thought of as property like I own in the uh, sense in English of actually physically owning, materially owning land, but rather this is my space, uh, that is of my, my family, my community, my culture, and we are occupying this land essentially in the indigenous way of thinking as guests of Mother Earth. Gaia Pachamama, we are here to caretake, we are here to steward, and if you would like to come visit, please do, have a seat at our table, let's break bread or maize, whatever the case may be, um, 
but not to arrive from across the ocean and say, hello, we see that you have some resources we would like, and we're simply claiming it, and by gunpoint or sword, uh, we will enslave you to help mine the gold or the ore or the silver to our benefit, and we will ship it back home and sell it and uh, enrich ourselves at your expense. Well, what a ludicrous idea. Now, surely this has happened uh, among other cultures between them, not simply the European cultures doing that to everyone else and sometimes even to each other. But, relatively speaking, it's really minimum of one, you know, African tribe, for instance, invading another. Yes, it's true. There was Genghis Khan. It's true. There are antecedents historically for this kind of conquistador mentality. But overall, I think that we could probably see that most of the damage was done by uh, relatively small cliques of Anglos, of Europeans at least, doing that to the rest of the world. We could say they've probably been the most successful over time and, and in a way that's been persistently so. But that being said, we have to be ultra sensitive to the fact that this has caused so much pain and so much suffering and so much debilitation among people and distrust that the riches of the respective cultures haven't been able to be deeply appreciated because everyone is busy defending themselves from potential onslaughts. Well, you could say that's all part of our animal nature, and that is probably biologically accurate. However, we've been gifted with a couple of extra brains, and that is, of course, the mammalian brain, which allows us to love and to feel nurturance and compassion for each other, as well as further enhanced by the cerebral cortex and the prefrontal lobes of a brain that's quite hefty in size and weight to other mammals around. So, gee, what does this mean? It means that we've been able to develop a capacity for language, for self-reflection, for self-awareness and consciousness that, you know, I can't say that I know, but one would suspect maybe beyond that other mammals or creatures on the planet. Now, I really simply really mean that I don't know. It's because I really don't, and I'm not sure anyone really does, because the more research that we do into the intricacies and intimacies of plant life, the more we see that trees, for instance, have a rather elegant way of communicating with each other, of protecting each other, of sharing resources, i.e. food and water, with each other, sunlight, 
It's extraordinary. I mean, the next thing we'll know, they're going to be having sharing a sense of humor. And we should not at all be surprised, okay? It could be that our imaginations are actually merging when they are at their height with with the uh, essences of different plant life and animal life on the planet. And we're able to actually tune in. We don't believe it's true, like the, say, the talking trees in The Wizard of Oz or some of our brilliant um, animations where animals are talking among themselves or Dr. Doolittle, for that matter, you know. It could well be that this is the case, that people, uh, people beings are able to even communicate um, cross-species. In reality, we do not know. The more we learn, the more we seem to uncover the subtleties of relationship between different um, uh, plants and trees and flowers and among different animals. So let us not be overwhelmingly surprised if one day, we discover that they are taking a big fat laugh at us, we humans, who think that we are all important and the only ones with any level of sophisticated communication or consciousness for that matter. So I just say, remain humble and stay open. (laughs) So with that said, coming back to the subject, we're dealing at a time when human beings, through their conquesting reptilian, more animal-based nature, not their higher nature, have literally jeopardized the planet's uh, sentient life. Oh, the planet herself, as a living being, will long outlive us, at least at our current rate of destruction of the atmosphere of soil, of water. Um, It's like standing on a plank and sawing it off while we're still standing on it. That should be abundantly clear. And now, um, through hit or by miss or by simple corruption of our voting system, there is someone who is in the highest office in the land who is making these ridiculous, irrational, unintelligent decisions based on money or ridiculous promises that were made during the campaign season to build out more oil pipelines or natural gas fracking pipelines. It's madness in the day and age where we are very familiar with the wisdom and the practicality of harnessing photons, of harnessing solar energy, wind energy, wave energy, geothermal energy. It's just screamingly abundant, saying, hi, here I am, use us, at no expense to your precious Mother Earth. We are here for the use and the taking. And talk about jobs. I mean, 
oh my God, can you imagine putting solar roofs on, solar panels on roofs and cars and buildings and solar paint and windmills? I mean, that would keep people employed for decades, not a quick, you know, quick, uh, you know, pump and dump kind of oil madness creating so many potential hazards to our water supply. Hence what is going on in Standing Rock. It's enough to make any human cry. And if they do not cry by beholding the tragedy that is going on with energy transfer partners doing everything it can to muscle through Uh, And now with the assistance of the current president, who has a financial interest in it, which is such a blatant conflict of interest, yet since he signed the executive order just yesterday, I have not heard one commentator on television reference his conflict of interest. It's, It's just like mass collusion. What is it? What? goes on anyway this is dealing with the interface of the planetary climate change landscape and the political personal reptilian landscape with which we're dealing so that opens up the other part of what today's show is addressing which is what I referred to as an archetypal landscape or an archetypal psychological perspective on what in the world is going on. Because what it looks like from this archetypal point of view is that Darth Vader, the incarnation of the dark, the shadow of evil, has been placed in the highest position in our country, which because of what our country is and what it represents in the world, and the role it plays everywhere globally, it really means for the world, not just for a country. It's like the President of the United States, in some measure, is President of the world. I know that sounds strong, but there's a level of truth to it. Yes, it doesn't mean that Russia and China and India and Brazil are not strong. In much measure, they are, but they just don't quite compare to the perceived strength and power of the United States for lots of reasons. Banking, military, big pharma, Monsanto, chemicals, for a few. (laughs) It's not a pretty picture, folks. It is not a pretty picture, but it is one that we want to see so we can be effective in addressing the issues. So from this archetypal point of view, just to say, we are looking at someone and his bevy of similar types, billionaires largely, who have made their money through ransacking, through foreclosing, through 
running companies into the ground, selling them for dirt cheap or buying them for dirt cheap, and then reviving them, you oftentimes with foreign labor, which is just the opposite of what Mr. Trump says he wants to do, which is emphasize uh, American labor force and build it. Yet, people such as Ross and Mnuchin and these fellows have made their billions displacing people from their homes. I mean, what a way to make money. You know, a care, an undertaker is more honest and honorable than pushing people out of their homes because they missed a mortgage payment or some such. Paying a mortgage because of the prior crisis in 2006 and 2007, which created these um, mortgages that were easy to enter, you know, no no um, app types of loans, no uh, proof of, of money, of salary, of financial backing, and then in year two or three, doubling or tripling the rate, I mean, this is, it's a form, it's, it's rape. It's monetary rape. And have to recognize it for what it is. And that's how these guys made their money. It's a form of rape and pillage. It's another form of conquest. It's just being done inside the corridors of financial power. But it remains on a personal level of the Darth Vader. It is the shadow of the lowest parts of the human being, of the human psyche. So we want to digest this. Why is it that we as a collective have brought this forward? It's like the deep unconscious welling up from below and smacking us in the face, saying your collective ignorance, your collective unconsciousness, your collective selfishness slash greed has allowed this undercurrent to surface and dominate your governance. Now, how do we stop this? The first thing is to see it, to see that this is the underbelly of humanity. With all due respect, I believe that people basically want to do good, but their perception of doing good is extremely narrowed by the education that they have. There's an academic education, there's an intellectual education, there's a kinesthetic education, and there's an emotional education. And as I was riding my bike the other day in New York City, I was just having all of these flashing thoughts. I was coming up from Chinatown. I was just thinking to myself, you know, we have the inner guidance. I believe that really everyone has the inner intelligence and high intelligence that basically comes from the heart, not from the mind. It's not mentation in the ordinary sense at all. 
it's a bidding of the heart and the heart comes forward and whispers it doesn't yell typically it whispers this is the right thing do this open the door for that person give that person some food be kind to that one even though she is yelling and being difficult be gentle these are the kinds of things that hearts say you know stand your ground be honorable, integrity. Be loving. Be playful. Be harmonious. Be funny. This is what hearts want. Be compassionate. This is the language of the heart, isn't it? Tell me, please. This is what hearts speak. They speak love. They speak kindness. They speak brotherhood and sisterhood. They speak unity. This is the higher mind, which is, you know, you could say the same as the higher heart. These are the kind of communications. So doing the right thing just isn't that hard. But what's happened is that that bidding of the heart, that communication that comes from above, inside the heart, the heart chakra, if you'd like, gets armored it's too soft it's too sensitive so it armors it acts tough it becomes the tough guy and in that state we negate what it says we override it with our personality with uh, our belief systems with our ignorance, with our uh, diminished education or understanding of a given subject. So here, let's just say, Trump wants Americans to have jobs. He wants us to be energy independent. Fine. Those are Admirable, admirable ideas. No problem. How do we realize that? Do we do things that are going to further damage and destroy our water supply? To damage and destroy sacred sacred land that was given back, not just given, given back to the native peoples, the Lakota and the Sioux and others? I mean, what kind of madness is this to have taken land in the first place that belongs to no one but creator? Yet, we lay claim to it as human beings, land that deer are running on and oxen and birds and worms. How can you own that? It's a very bizarre idea. So if you far enough and look through fresh eyes, one sees what the indigenous people have seen all along. You cannot own the land. What is the brilliant words of Chief Seattle? It's not ours to own. We are stewards of the land, and we share its abundance, abundanza, with each other, not 
This is mine. And if you cross that line, watch it. You know, uh uh-uh. There are boundaries. Granted, there are some, the boundaries are reasonable up to a certain point under certain circumstances. So I'm not saying they got the idea has no merit, but the idea of ownership in the Western mindset is still radically different than my people are occupying this space and we have for a hundred years or two hundred years or more. And so if you are from another tribe and you're coming by, we open our doors to break maze with you, <laughs> ho ho, to share some ox or something, ox soup, oxtail soup. Um, but, you know, we're dwelling here and you're dwelling there. If you want to talk about a different arrangement, let's talk. That's still different than I have a deed to this land. It is mine. You know, you have to come and see the difference between these perspectives. So I'd say that the indigenous perspective on this is way richer, way more advanced, way more commonsensical and commonsensible and is the one that would serve all much better than the idea of private individual ownership. So, laying down a little groundwork, no pun intended. So with that said, I want to just let everybody know you are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World Radio. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. And of course, I know you listen at other times at your leisure and convenience. And that's all good, my friends. It's all good. People are listening from all different parts of the planet. And that is just very enriching to us here at A Better World, which is everywhere anyway. So it's all perfect. We have people listening from Australia, from Aussie land, from New Zealand, from China, from, or as Alec Baldwin would say, China. <laughs> so funny. And how. And uh, from UK, from all over the UK, from Europe, from all over the United States and Canada, and some from South America and the Caribbean. It's fantastic, and we even have some from Africa. It's a joy, and welcome all to A Better World. You are all part of it. You are all part of our A Better World community, and I really love when you take our shows and forward them to others, our interviews, or sometimes when I do these shows alone, speaking about things that I feel we all need deeply to cognize and come together around. Um, and if you do not yet get our newsletter, go to a betterworld.tv and on the right-hand column over there, there's a way to sign up for our newsletter. It comes out every week, just once a week, and it announces our weekly radio show, and it announces the subject or the guests, and our weekly TV show, which is Monday nights. That is not available in archive. The radio show is. 
the TV show is aired as a public service Monday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but you can see it at that website, abetterworld.tv, from anywhere. Through that website, just click through. At the top of our website, it says, please watch, click to watch, and then you click through again at the TV station, and voila, you are there. For others of you who do not catch it on Monday nights, you can purchase it on our website through our Amazon store. Just click on store at abetterworld.tv and voila, you are there. And uh, there are not all of them, but a bunch, you know, a good 75 to 100 of my interviews with leading scientists and healers and environmentalists and and um, spiritual teachers and gurus and thinkers and philosophers and writers and filmmakers uh, just Monday coming up from the march in Washington was a friend Eve Harrison who brought here asked if I would be interested in interviewing the filmmaker of another film on fracking called A Crack in Everything, Verushka Franceschi, a lovely woman who is a gifted writer and really making a good go at this film. And she brought with her one of the actors in the film, and he is James Cromwell, who has a distinguished career, a long distinguished career as an actor. Academy Award winner was in the film Babe, about Babe Ruth, was in The Green Mile with Tom Hanks. I love that film. Was and is currently in uh, The Young Pope, a very interesting HBO series. A lovely man, and a Shakespearean at that, and he just uh, was marvelous to spend time with both of them, all of them. And uh, that will be aired on A Better World TV sometime soon because of their roles, all of our roles, activist roles, dealing with subjects like fracking, like oil, like our deep, deep aspiration to create a, a renewable energy economy. And I'm working diligently at this uh, offline, so to speak, through uh, a few different companies with whom I'm working, with the CEOs, generally speaking. And we are looking for funding, actually. We are looking for participation in any number of ways. So we are looking to bring and stabilize renewable energy across the planet, as well as water, bringing water to drought-ridden or drought-prone regions of the world. So if any of this resonates with you, or if you know of funding sources, these are for-profit projects. These are not non-profits. A Better World is a nonprofit, and please, please donate, as is uh, the work of 
um, a crack in everything, Verushka. That's not nonprofit, but they are doing crowdfunding for that. So I'll have that information up on our website in relatively short order. But you can email me about that, or if you are an entrepreneur or um, a funder of any sort, an impact investor, a green investor, at mjr at abterworld.net. That's my address, email address, mjr at abetterworld.net. And you can always reach me through the website anyway, as I believe you know, or through www.mitchellraben.com. So, mentioning all of that, interestingly, shows, demonstrates that there's no nothing wrong with generating money and revenue. No, in our lifestyle, our cultural milieu, that is something you better do or you're going to go down with the ship. So until or unless we change that meme, and by the way, it too is in transition with what's called fintech, financial technologies, about which I've learned more from people like Hazel Henderson and the retreat a group of us were on with her this past November studying this. It's sort of like Bitcoin, but beyond. There's something called a solar coin. There are other, the M-Pesa also in Kenya, as an example. These are really, really interesting expressions of a new form of currency that will enrich people instead of just the banks. It's wild the way the current Federal Reserve Bank money system and reserve currency work. Well, in fact, they really don't work. They work for the smallest, smallest 1% of the planet, and it is to the rest of our uh, detriment, by and large. I know I'm making a generalization, but it's largely true, with, thankfully, some wonderful exceptions. But it's a system that is not set up to really serve us. Now, can it be fine-tuned? Yes, it can be. Even the, all the institutions as they stand are actually structured and can be re, redesigned to be of service to humanity. It can be done. But this brings us back to the problem at hand. The real challenge is how do we help each other move from the state, the mental state of greed and selfishness to the one of cooperation and community with the assumption that there is plenty for all. Prosperity is inherent in nature. We don't have to invent it. We just have to act on it. It's very interesting. If we take nature in a biomimetic sense and use her as our guide, and that's by listening to our heart, we're guided by nature, by our own higher nature, I would say, then we stand a chance to really move the game forward and remove the pipes remove the uh, types of businesses 
that thrive on a forfeiture or thrive on foreclosure, thrive on hurting people and on destruction. You know, many years ago, I had an awakening of sorts when I realized I was a teenager. And I said, my God, this entire economy, this entire society is actually operating and bent on destruction, not construction, on destroying resources, even destroying the body. If you think about what is chemotherapy or a lot of medical therapies with using drugs or removing organs. Now, what kind of medicine is that when you have herbs, when you have food, when you have healthy thinking, when you have love, when you have vibrational healing, when you've got energy medicine, when there's an understanding of frequency. Whoa! When you understand quantum fields. What? That means we're looking to neutralize and balance energies instead of destroy what we call bad cells. Well, gee, nature put them there for a reason. There's got to be some functionality to them, wouldn't you think? Maybe we could have a gentler, kinder way of dealing with things that we don't like, even in ourselves, let alone each other. Can't you see how the whole world can pivot rather quickly if we were to create a contagion of love, of kindness, of understanding, of cooperation, where fear was no longer generating our actions or inhibiting our actions, but love, the prefrontal cortex, were in charge, even higher, the heart were in charge. That's called moving the archetype from Darth Vader and the evil archetype, the hellish archetype, to the heavenly, maybe to Apollo, to an image of a solar ray of kindness, of a Christic image. How's that for an archetype? And what's interesting is, as I've talked about on the show before, Christic, as in Christ, as in Jesus, as a man, what we know was Jewish and therefore Sephardic at that time and dark-skinned, darkly complected, and probably rather frizzy hair, <laughs> you know? Not blonde-haired and blue eye, fair-skinned. That is just a rendition that came around for different political, economic, and probably even artistic reasons, but not based in reality, based on some fiction of imagination, and uh, as I said, other motives. So 
What do we see then in Christ? If you want to take a walk down that journey with me for a moment, uh, we'll see that we actually have a compendium of different features of all humanity, kind of a confluence, a crossroads of different aspects of humanity in this one being. And the being doesn't actually matter as much as what he has come to represent, which is man's higher nature, human's higher nature. It's healthy to remember that. That's, that's the archetypal part of the landscape for today. Listen, folks, I don't really think I have to tell you that climate change is real. Climate change happens cyclically. We know that too. This is not all a matter of anthropogenesis. That means man-made climate change. No, I'm not saying that. And the climate scientists don't say that either. There's no confusion that there has been periods of ice ages and of heating ages, solar ages. We know this. We know climate is tumultuous and it changes over the course of many thousands of years. Entire civilizations, if you will, of creatures have gone extinct because of weather and then really more climate change. So there's no confusion about this. But I made an important point. Climate change is a rather slow process. And sentient life can therefore adapt to it in some interesting creative ways, especially humans given the chance. But when it is accelerated through polluting industrial wastes, through air pollution, fouling the air over and again, changing the balance of O2 and CO2 respiration, shifting so that carbon is getting built up in the atmosphere to such an extent It's excessive, and it overrides the natural ecosystemic cycle that it cannot be absorbed by by the trees. It cannot be absorbed. It's, It's being dumped into the atmosphere at too great a pace, too vast a pace, and The trees are actually being leveled, they're being cut down, they're being destroyed, which would have otherwise been absorbing. And the soil is being polluted in such a way and damaged through pesticides and insecticides and herbicides and all sorts of things so that it can no longer sequester carbon at the same rate either. You've got trouble on your hands and that's what we have. For the White House and the EPA, God forbid, should be saying that climate change is a hoax. It doesn't exist. Or that man has no role in the changing climate is, is absolute madness. And I don't even believe they believe it, but they are feigning belief for their own private pocketbooks. It's an 
economically convenient. It's economically convenient. What is this inconvenient truth? So they create facades and armoring and propaganda around it, and the rest of us see through it and recognize. Climate change is in both directions. It's extreme. It's extreme cold and it's extreme hot. But since 2014, at least, the uh, statistics show, reports show, that we have become ever hotter every year. And the parts per million and billion of carbon in the air is becoming untenable. But yet, the solipsistic perspective, I want more money now in whatever way, and I'm saying it's going to make more jobs, great. But what if you can get 10 times the number of jobs through a green, renewable, sustainable economy? Eh? So that's what we're talking about. This is the interface of the landscapes, my friends. And this is what we just have to remember. And we want to be able to restore our rich cultural life and spend more time on what's joyous and fun and playful and athletic and artistic and not worry about the people who are supposed to be in service to us. Governments everywhere are there for one purpose, to be in service not to themselves, but to the people they represent. So we need to unfasten from the reptilian brain function from our commitment, seemingly, our commitment to ignorance and maintaining the lowest level of education about the larger picture and about what's possible through breakthroughs in science, through breakthroughs in technology, through breakthroughs in understanding our ecosystem and the economy. And of course, we all know from the ancient Greek, the two are related, economic ecological relating to the home the kitchen our home nature as our kitchen and of course um, Hippocrates going back to Greek had it right let food be thy medicine and medicine thy food why is this so complicated but that's what human beings do I believe I want to assert this before closing out today. I want to assert that there is a way for all countries, that is all nations, all governments, to cooperate with each other and help each other feed their hungry and deal with their malnourished and deal with those who need shelter and medicine of different sorts. And we can work as a collective to provide this for each other. So we don't have to be territorial. The planet is our territory. How's that for a way of thinking? And we're putting ourselves together as a human species with different 
cultural expressions throughout the world on our planet so that we can prepare for our next evolutionary step, which will be both to encounter and become more familiar with other dimensions and other galactic universal sentient life. So what do we have to do? We have to get our own global house in order. Think about this. You're going to go out with your neighbors to a community town hall event. You're very close, so you help each other vacuum the houses, have some food on the table, make sure everybody is showered and dressed and fed across the houses. Each each house, members of each family are helping each other go to something that's a larger expression, community, a larger community called the village or the town. And so the small local units, so to speak, units, help each other go to visit the town. So expand that paradigm for a moment. Our individual states help each other, other states get together so we can visit the home of us all, Washington, D.C. And then the different countries come together to help each other, to help the neediest, to up the floor, raise the floor, carpenters. And then, so we can all be together, all of our nations, United Nations, so we can in turn be all buffed up, for meeting our other planetary solar neighbors. You get it? And so it keeps spiraling, escalating upward evolutionarily for us to play a different and higher role in the larger universal game. So we've got the global game, we've got the national game, we've got the local game, and then we step it up, step it up, step it up until we graduate. You see, so we we Americans want to help those in Africa. We want to help those in China, not compete over in the China Sea. Well, this is ours, and that's yours, and this is ours, and that's yours, and we're going to fight each other and shoot each other and kill each other because that's ours. I mean, what ludicrousness. What kid stuff. It's lacking emotional maturity. It's lacking emotional intelligence. It's lacking intelligence altogether. It's a no-win proposition. But what I'm proposing is a true win-win-win-win situation. Truly, and way more gratifying, and way more fun. And it demands the use of our higher assets, not our lower ones. I think you're getting it. I think you've got it. So, I hope you feel that I have addressed the planetary, I should have also said the extraplanetary, archetypal and political landscapes. We've got to deal with what we're dealing with. As you know, if you listen to the past 
half a dozen plus shows, you hear the true constitutional basis for calling for a new election. There are, uh, you know, other constitutionally based um, cries out right now having to do with the Amulment Clause um, that has to do with uh, the current president's um, financial interests spread throughout the world, which cause conflict of interest and cause uh, um, being enriched by foreign governments. It's illegal, and as far as I'm concerned, he should never have been sworn in. Nonetheless, I am working with uh, whoever I can to create, because I'm always thinking planetarily and beyond, to create the renewable energy platform economy, no matter who's in office. So I'm paying attention to who's in office, don't get me wrong, but I want them subservient to a larger picture, and that's the thing. We work for something bigger than ourselves. We're always doing that, and in the eschatology I set up here, if you will, you see that there is a hierarchy and an architecture to always working for something higher than ourselves. And that pulls us forward as humanity into our higher reaches, our higher inner resources, our brain resources, our nervous system resources, our heart chakra resources, and our uh, entire um, soul resources. At the end of the day, it brings us to the energetic and etheric levels of ourselves. So, with that said, I want to let you know that we do offer various types of uh, energy balancing services from the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, uh, which we have an annual fee for that's very reasonable. Um, and through your uh, photograph, we are actually able to send you energy that helps to balance your spirit out and therefore your body because they are seamlessly connected. And we have, of course, the work I do with individuals and couples and families to create healthy relationships and healthy beings using both coaching, consulting, both personal and business and the life system, which is the biofeedback energy medicine system that's rather phenomenal. And it reads the energy fields and patterns in a person as well as their stress potentials and helps to ease them and neutralize them and soften uh, whatever may be at play or even at risk for that matter. And we are a 501c3 for those of you outside of the United States. That means we are a nonprofit organization and we are in service to the planet. We are in service to sentient life. And if you have the ability to make donations, that is to invest in us, can continue to expand and thrive and sustain our multifaceted work, please do please make that donation at our website or you can do so separately and privately at mjr at abetterworld.net. Just write to me directly 
and I'd be glad to discuss with you and uh, receive what you have to give, as I hope you are receiving what I have to give. So on that note, I want to just thank you all for joining me today, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you.